So today is going to be part one in a series of lectures. This is going to be the first one. I'm going to be talking about psychological disorders, psychological concepts, love, relationships, marriages, personality. Uh, I'm going to talk about a plethora of things, and I have a few of these lectures that I already kind of had pre-planned. I wrote a little workout. I kind of worked through it in my head. But this first lecture is going to be on borderline personality disorder, right? And it, it's complex to say the least, right? So the one, the best way to grasp this disorder is to think about it, think about it like this, right? Everyone who is born goes through different stages. And if you're familiar with Eric, Eric Erickson's theory of psychosocial development, which isn't that much different from P, Piaget's uh, um, psychological um child stages of social development, which is very similar to Eric Erickson's, except Piaget's is three stages, um, the concrete mode of operations and the formal mode of operations. The third one really doesn't matter. When you're trying to understand Piaget, you just need to kind of really focus on those two, because uh, as a lot of psychologists point out, those are the ones that, that psychologists are still asking whether or not they're true. And this was a model of abnormality, uh, I think, published in the 50s, 60s, right around that time. So very, very old. And, and psychologists still look at it as definitely flawed, but as having some meaning, right? So basically, Eric's, er, Eric Erickson's theory of psychosocial development was that the human being goes through eight stages, eight phases in their life. Now, the thing that the reason why... I would pick Erickson's theory, uh, stage theory, over Piaget's is because there's more stages and it's more it's more nuanced. So far as to say that it goes and expands Eric Erickson's to to till you're dead, right, to the end of your life, to where your personality has become completely different, right? Because we know that when it comes to personality, it doesn't change much, but we know as you get older, you become more conservative, and there's different stages of that. And one of the most important stages of Erickson's theory was the first one, mistrust versus trust. Now, if you take that theory, or excuse me, take that stage of that psychosocial development theory and you kind of put it together with borderline personality disorder, well, boom, you sort of have the inception of borderline personality disorder. Not the only causation for it, but a big causation. And if, if you were to look at a consistent pattern among people with BPD, you would see a pattern of neglect, a pattern of abuse in some way, not necessarily in the physical sense, but in the psychological sense, in the emotional sense, right? These people have been left alone. Now you say, well, a lot of people have been left alone. Everyone gets left alone when they're a kid, right? At some time, no parent's perfect. But these people experience a depriving amount of abandonment, which is... The foundation of the disorder in its whole, in its entirety. It's like you leave a child alone and you, and you leave them alone all the time. Well, th that's going to cause a lot of damages. Now, we know from ages one to two, those are one to three, really. Those are the most important stages when it comes to social development, learning how to play with kids, getting the proper compassion and care from their parents. And this tends to be not the case with people with BPD, right? There, there, there is a lot of sort of situations and circumstance which we could, you know, point on individual cases because, you know, any good analytical psychologist says we'll treat the individual, right? Not the group, not the collective, but we take patterns from the collective 
and use it to apply it to individuals to fit their, their needs. So we can see a more consistent pattern of behavior when we analyze the, the, the collective. Um, but when we look at the individual, we can see things that are solely that are solely common to the individual, right? So abandonment, right? That's the first, that's sort of the uh, foundation of disorder, right? You know, you when you leave a child alone, even for a little bit, right? Think about it. I'm sure you've been around child or multiple children, but when you leave them alone for even 10 minutes, they cry. They fuss. 10 minutes, they will start crying. Now imagine 10 days, 12 days, 13 days. Imagine a lack of physical touch, which is, it's absolutely necessary. It's physical touch is the foundation of a child's future when it comes to not only sexual relationships, but intimate relationships, because what happens on the physical level also affects the psychological level, because believe it or not, when you touch your child, you're causing the child's dopaminergic brain system to act properly and say, hey, touching is good, which then releases dopamine, which comes from the ventral tegmental area, then goes to the amygdala, the nucleus accumbens, the hippocampus, and the frontal lobe, right? So that, that ventral uh, tegmental area is being released and it's sending out to different parts of the brain. Now, these parts are very, very underdeveloped because you're talking about a young child. But the point is, is you... you you do that to that child consistently, so then they get used to that. Because if you think that dopamine doesn't matter, you have no idea, right? It's like we've seen, with, with not only with dopamine, but other um, uh, neurotransmitters, how important they are to behavior. But not only to behavior, to self-worth, to conscientiousness, right? Not in the personality type, but being conscientious to others. The people's, the people's perception of themselves, right? That reflection of who they are, right? And if that becomes distorted, if people get their uh, dopaminergic systems messed up at an early age, it causes a whole lot of troubles in the rest of their lives. And, and that shouldn't be too much of a complicated thing to understand, right? You need physical touch. Without it, there is no social development. And maybe, maybe there's a few cases where there was an extreme lack of physical development and nothing happened. But that's never almost never. So you're seeing a missing of physical touch while they're young. You're seeing a absence of um, a parent or guardian um, consistently. That is the pattern throughout BPD. It's like, I was left alone, therefore I always feel like I'm going to be left alone. Therefore I will self-sabotage my, my future self because I want to stay with someone. So, the thing with people with borderline personality disorder is that they're not necessarily ultra-psychotic or hyper-aggressive. Now, they can be definitely hyper-disagreeable. In fact, most people with BPD tend to be hyper-disagreeable and introverted. That is the standard. Most people with borderline dis disorder are not usually extroverted. And there's a reason for that. Because as a child, they get pushed into a corner. They get, and I'm, I'm saying metaphysically, not, well, sometimes even actually. They get put in a place where they are not getting, they're not getting the proper amount 
of love. And when we talk about love, we're talking about the two major psychological definitions of love, which is companionship love and passionate love. Now, this this is also matters later when you're having your interpersonal relationships as you're an adult, but it matters when you're young too, and it matters much more because when you're younger, you're a computer. It's not the blank state sort of philosophical term that you come out and you're blank, but it's like you're a computer. And all you are doing is consuming the world around you. And then as you're consuming that in your prefrontal cortex, as those patterns of observation within the environment begin to process, you're seeing what, well, you're, you're thinking what you're seeing without you even realizing you're thinking it because the majority of your life up until you're three is almost entirely unconscious, right? We know the standard, standard age to remember memories is three. Any earlier than that, there have been a few cases, but the thing is, we can't tell how early that is. So it's almost inverifiable every time someone says they remember that. They could have heard it unconsciously when they were four about it, and they remembered it after they were explained of that situation, and then it processes in their cognitions, and it gets confused with the memory, which, which is quite common, like dreams. You know, a lot of people have dreams, and they then um, associate those dreams with points in reality. And they forget that those points, those dreams, were not reality. In fact, you could probably talk to someone and tell them that wasn't real because you were there. You know. And they've distorted their dream reality and their dream world so much with their real reality, they're almost unwilling to, to let go of it. And that's because of an unconscious parallel to that. Because when you unconsciously believe something and consciously believe something, you believe it. So, back to the abandonment problem, let's say. So we know, I'm going to go over what we just said, right? Lack of touch, physical touch, lack of care, lack of emotional conditioning, which is not necessarily a bad thing, right? There's negative emotional conditioning, so we can apply that as well. But also, there's no emotional conditioning. You just leave the child there. You leave her there to fester with no one else. There's no play. There's nothing. Just darkness. Negative thoughts, which turns to negative memories, which turns to an extreme problem and abnormality in adulthood. Their interpersonal relationships are always destroyed, obliterated. Why? Well, because... Think about it like this. You were left alone all your life. And I'm, and I'm focusing on that point for reason for now. Because I want you to get it through your skull. You were left alone the majority of your younger life. Whatever it may be. Whatever the case may be. Whether your parents were drug addicts. Whether they were out running the streets. Whatever it may be. You were left alone a lot. And that first stage of um, Erickson's theory. Trust versus mistrust. Is the basic necessary foundation for the rest of the stages. Because if you fail at that stage. You can forget the other seven. For sure. So the the trust from the parent, the guardian, whether it's biological or not, uh, was not there. There was not a proper amount of care tended towards the child. So he or she does not have a memory of what that's like at all because it didn't happen. And then you grow up, you get older, and let's just say, well, you're going to have to be with those, those same parents who left you or whatever the case may be, different circumstances, you're going to have to live with them until you're 18. 
right? And, and yeah, maybe you go to an adoption facility or maybe you go to, um, you know, a, a um, group home, whatever it is, but that's still very bad in itself, right? But let's say you grow up in this dysfunctional household till you're 18, right? So for one, you have extreme negative emotions and negative feelings towards your parents, guardians, whatever it may be. I'll just say parents just so we know. I'm not saying that, but it, as an example. So you have extreme negative emotions and resentment towards your parents. And some of that resentment is not dealt with because it's unconscious suppression. And a lot of what you know is what you don't know because what you can't understand, you're unwilling, you're not willing to understand, not necessarily because you're willfully ignorant, but because you've suppressed it all, right? A common sort of pattern of people with BPD is a, a, a extreme long-term memory loss, not in a um, psychotic or a de 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 debilitating way. But that when it comes to points and periods in their life where there was chaos, which can be attributed to the abnormality of abandonment, they tend to forget it. And they're not doing that on purpose. They're doing that because at an early age, they went through all these periods of neglect, whatever it may be, abuse a lot of the times, verbal abuse, right? And then throughout their life, they continue going through this because you're going to have to stay with that your, with your parents until you're at least 18 so then there's a lot of lapses in memory. And by God, they're not doing that on purpose. Now, sometimes they are, but not always. So, so then you get to like your 16, 17, where you, I'd say actually 14, where you start to develop pretty interpersonal relationships, complicated relationships, complex relationships, where you're talking about ideas, goals, what you want to do, what you don't want to do, who you are, but you don't know who you are because no one told you who you were. You weren't able to grow. You weren't able to develop a sufficient personality. Well, at least that's what you think. That may not be the case, but that's damn sure what BPD people think. They think as though they're nothing. There's nothing to them. Emptiness, darkness, a hole, which they see nothing in. And it's like, well, what good am I? Because I'm nothing, absolutely nothing. I don't know who I am. And part of that is because they didn't have the people in their life to help them know who they are, right? Because raising kids is the installment of values, virtues, and morality. And if, that's, if that doesn't happen, if there is not an absolute constant reminder of what to do and what not to do and what is good and what is bad, people with BPD's value systems are completely messed up. We'll say that, right? I'm going to try not to swear on these, but very, very messed up. Right, because there was no morality installed into them. So now they see people in their lives doing wrong things, but they have no idea that they're wrong. They're terrible. Drugs. Whatever it may be. And they had no differentiation ability to differentiate what was wrong and what was right. And on top of that, they feel like they're always at loss. And on top of that, they feel like they're nothing and they have no person personality. They're a shell with nothing in it. That's as they think in their head. That's not necessarily the case. Because a lot of them do tend to have personalities. And a lot of the, that personality is, is, is sort of um, uh, bound up by neuroticism. That's a common, constant, you know, um, one of the big five that a lot of people with BPD fall under. So, introversion neuroticism, and believe it or not, a lot of times, openness as well. They tend to be high in openness, which is not a good thing. I mean, it's not a bad thing, but think about it like this. It's like you're going to have a hard time trying to get jobs 
when you're when you don't know who you are, you don't know what you want to do, and you don't foresee a future where you will know who you are. So then what happens when you do that? Well, you don't plan. The hell's planning for it's useless. Why would you plan if you have nothing to plan for? Because you're nothing. So how do they work on this? Well, they try themselves. And boy, that doesn't work because once they try to change themselves, they fail to see the damage that they're doing in the current time. So one thing that a lot of people with BBD do as they're older is they latch on to an individual. Now, this might not necessarily be a love relationship. We're going to get into that next. But it could be just an interpersonal relationship, right? They latch on to someone. They find someone they like. But they're always let down. Because they hyper-focus on the negatives of everything. Because their whole life was hyper-focused on the negatives of everything. Not in their doing, but in their environment, right? It is very environmental when we're talking about this. Now, there could be a predisposition genetically. But the evidence on that is not very clear, so we don't know yet. So I wouldn't substantiate a claim to say that it's genetic. It's mainly environmental, and it's mainly through social development, child social development, which is the causation for almost BPD in all cases. And if you're familiar with the humanists, or Carl Rogers, should I say, well, his idea, the humanistic model of abnormality is that people fail in their life because they fail to self-actualize themselves, Right? And the, from, the, from the humanistic perspective, people are generally good. That's what they believe. Generally good, but because of certain circumstances in their life, it causes them to be bad. So the humanistic model is like there's environmental situations which affect the individual and their psyche and their brain, which then affects them to make negative actions. So, And I, I don't necessarily think the humanistic model is right. But Carl Rogers was on to something, for sure, right? Because he seemed to help a lot of people. Now, people have changed. Things have gotten worse. But we got to remember, borderline personality disorder. So if you really want to take the disorder and sort of make a, a sort of ethos, you would, you would say personality, right? It's predicated on the personality. Not every disorder is predicated on the personality. So why is it that it, what's so damaging about the personality of people with BPD other than the fact that they don't know they have one, which is pretty damn dangerous. And it, it would hurt to feel like that, you know, to not know who you are and not know where you want to be. How do you set goals? You can't aim at something if there's no target. So as they get older, as I was saying. They get into these relationships, whatever it may be, and they fail dramatically. But one of the reasons why they fail is because people with BPD tend to self-sabotage themselves. They tend to do things that will hurt them and the other person in the process. And then they're very, very, very bent out of shape that they hurt them. But they keep hurting them because they're not able to deal with their own emotions. Derived. A lot from impulsivity, right? A lot from, again, negative emotions, right? So a lot of, that's why a lot of people with BPD tend to have or tend to be disagreeable because they hate everyone. Everyone's fucked their lives, excuse me. Everyone has severely damaged their lives up, their whole life. So where are they now and why should they trust you, 
Well, they shouldn't, because if you were left alone when you were younger all the time, and your parents never catered to you, and you never had any real friends that really helped you out, and most of the friendships that you had and relationships that you had were tit for tat, which is not necessarily a bad thing. You you need people that are, you know, it's a, a relationship built on reciprocity, where it's simply a tit for tat. You give me this, I give you that, right? Which is the majority of the relationships. But it doesn't matter anyways, because people with PPDs, perspective and perception of relationships are distorted where they might not see that. So it's just a simple tit-for-tat relationship and maybe the other person doesn't take it as seriously because when you're younger, you tend to have non-serious relationships. You know, it's like that girl in high school. Yeah, you love her, you care for her within two years. Yeah, you know, you forget about her, right? Not literally forget about her, but that has been moved on in a very short span of time. Now that happens all the time when you're young. But people with borderline personality, that the feeling of not only abandonment, but um, neglect and rejection is hyper terrible. It's, it's more than terrible. It's so terrible that their bones, they, they, they crumble inside. And it's no wonder. Because as soon as they get close to that relationship, and because their view of the relationship is distorted because of their past, they think the relationship is one way, while the other person thinks it as another way, and then boom, the relationship collapses, whatever it may be. You know, falling out, you move. You, you, maybe they still keep in contact, but they don't see each other as much. They always think it's phony. They think it's fake. They always judge the relationship by their distorted perception of what they think a relationship is. So it's like lock and key, right? It's like the, the person with BPD is the lock and the, the whoever they're partnering with. And I'm not just saying uh, in a sexual intimate relationship, but anyone of that matter, right? They're a lock. And what, what does a lock do? Well, it only opens with the key, right? And the thing is, is like their perception of what, people should be is distorted to where, especially in intimate relationships, there's never going to be a key to fit in that lock to open that because they don't know how to open it. They're closed, but they go through modes of splitting as it's termed where they be closed, they're open, they're happy. It's very similar to mania. It is categorized by uh, uh, manic depression disorder, which is bipolar disorder, which is far deeper than most people's oversimplification of the disorder. The disorder. It's like, oh, you're happy, you're sad. It's far more than that, right? Far worse than that. That's an oversimplification of what people with manic depressant depressive disorder do. So, borderline personality, manic, but not manic, through long time frames. Manic, sometimes every hour, sometimes every 20 minutes. They're constantly manic. And they might go days without having a sort of manic episode, but you have to remember these people are triggered by the the smallest things and maybe they should be triggered. Why wouldn't you be triggered at the smallest things when all of the most major fundamental things that should be the building blocks of your personality and social development skills were crushed? And how would you trust anyone if you if no one trusted you? If no one gave you that feeling of mutual trust? Well, you don't. So how do you work through this? How do you sort of kind of get better? How do people with BPD perform at a normal functioning level? How do they get better in their personality? How do they fix their perception of themselves? How do they have better relationships? Well, 
for one, we know that people with PPD tend to do something, which is very common, is they get into these relationships, maybe long, maybe short, normally intimate relationships. And the people that they're in relationships with, well, they continue self-sabotaging themselves. They keep pushing the other person away, farther and farther. He keeps wanting to stay. She keeps pushing away. But she can't get him to leave. She'll, she'll do anything to get him to stay, such as maybe cutting herself, literally performing self-harm to get the person to stay. Because she's doing everything. She, she sometimes wants them to leave. Or maybe all the time, in, in many time periods through the day, she wants them gone. But at the end of the day, she wants them to stay. And this happens constantly. And can you imagine that for years? And the person also feels as though, well, typically, um, and there was a study on this uh, in 2008, I believe it, w- believe it was, where they basically measures, measured the level uh, levels of jealousy when it came to people with BPD. But they didn't ask the people with BPD. They asked the partners. Now, does that mean that they're 100% accurate in what they were saying? Saying no, but very, very... Why would you lie about your partner, you know? And they don't know it's for a BPD trial. They, you know, basically got together, you know, I think it was a few thousand people, and they all... And this same thing has been performed multiple times. They just got a bunch of people together, and they asked them, hey, is your partner jealous? You know? And they were specifically targeting people with uh, BPD through um, therapists um, and clinical psychologists. So it... It, it was a study, and there was the, you can say that that's not 100% accurate. Fine, but let's just say a lot of people with BPD, when they get older, guy or girl, are more jealous. And we know that people with BPD, I think it's around five to, uh, five to ten times more likely to be domestic abusers. Now, that is much higher on the male side than it is on the female side, because females in general are less likely to be domestic abusers. But when it comes to the females, verbal abuse and sabotage through character attacks and reputation destruction, which is common among all females. That's how they get at you in general. Guys will get at you like that. I mean, not feminine guys who have a feminine aspect to them who probably had some sort of disruptions with the development of their anima, as Jung would say, which is the part of you that you project. And it has to do with your mainly, it has to do with the mother relationship, or, or the, the female hero myth, which is your mother. It's not really the hero myth. Let me rephrase that. The, the, the great mother, just as the great father, is just switched, but they're, they're both completely different. It's like the great mother is supposed to take care of your son. And sometimes what mothers do, because they're naive, and this is very dangerous, they'll raise their sons, but they never let them go away. They never let them leave. So how do you leave when you're your mom is constantly keeping you in, and these are the people who stay in their mother's house till they're 26, 27, 30s. They can never get away from it, not just physically, but emotionally. They're stuck. They're intertwined, right? So back to the BPD thing. It's like you get older, and you feel as though nothing will work because nothing has ever worked, and especially if you haven't gotten any form of therapy. And as a lot of things have shown, DBT, dialectical behavioral training, is obviously the only thing that really, really helps them. But also, you could say DBT along with personal uh, psychoanalysis could be really good. And um, there is different drugs that stabilize moods and um, reduce certain opium peptides, but also um, sort of reconstruct. I I don't like the word reconstruct because that implicates a physical change. 
Well, I guess it is a physical change. We were talking about the dopaminergic release system and even the adrenal gland, which affects a lot of people if there's something wrong with your adrenal gland, which is, it is that which produces epinephrine and norepinephrine. Epinephrine is what most people would call adrenaline, which if there's something wrong with the way that your body produces adrenaline, but also serotonin and also dopamine, because it comes from that as well, because it's a neurotransmitter. So your, your adrenal gland, you have one above each each kidney, I believe, and they send they send signals to your brain. And if that signal is some, for some reason broken, that can really affect your brain. This is not just with people with BPD, but this is a lot of people in general who tend to be hyper-aggressive. That doesn't mean hyper-violent necessarily. Hyper-aggressive relating to the way these people act towards others is in an aggressive manner, which people with borderline tend to do that. And they do it. Because their ability to communicate was never developed. So you say, well, their ability to communicate was never developed. And who they were was never established. And where they're from was never good. So who they are going to be with and that, that relationship with which who they're going to be is going to be dysfunctional. That doesn't sound too crazy. But it's radical, right? So how do you how do you fix this? How do you break the cycle? Again, DBT with psychoanalysis, with maybe some medications, but there's not many much evidence that medications really do anything at all, right? Sometimes they make it worse, right? Because people with BPD will take medications and well, maybe they, they're stabilized more in their behavior, maybe they're less aggressive, but they hate themselves or they feel as though that they are not the same as they were. So, And we see this with a lot of different medications, especially when it comes to things uh, like, like mood stabilizers and um, SSRIs and whatnot. So anyways, after these relationships they get in where it's that, that constant positive feedback loop where... They're, they're doing things which are going to cause a reaction of the other, which is going to be negative, right? And then they interact, and maybe the person that they're with is not completely trained in psychology, or maybe he is, but everybody's human, right? You can't react perfectly all the time, and anything you can, can and will say will be used against you. And that's because that... When they're in these splitting states, there is no reality but the reality they see. They're extremely irrational. And if you were to try to be rational with someone who has no rationale of rationality, well, then it's not going to work and it's going to make them more mad, right? You learn this over time, right? You can't fight fire with, you can't fight water with fire. I guess that's how you would put it, right? What do you do when you throw just eats it, right? When you throw a stick of fire in the water, what does it do? It just eats it. It consumes the fire, right? And you're feeding that because they are not seeing what you're seeing. So on the sort of partner side of things, you could say maybe don't say anything at all, but that's difficult because when you're getting, um, you know, berated and verbally abused, you might want to say something, because you might feel bad about what the other person's saying. And then these relationships, they get destroyed, right? Two, three, four, five, six years, whatever it is, they get destroyed. And then they get into another positive feedback loop type cycle. But I wouldn't necessarily call it that. It's more of a long-term thing. Where then they try and get into a relationship to which they mask their personality. And they say, 
And I'm not saying that they're saying this verbally, but mentally, whether they know it or not, they could be saying, well, if I just don't be completely who I am, if I, I just can't, that's it. I just can't be myself. I have to, I just can't expose certain aspects of my personality. I can't say certain parts of my life that were traumatic. I'll just, I'll just try and we'll, and we'll do it this way to basically have an interpersonal relationship, but it's not interpersonal. They're controlling what they're telling you because they're afraid if they get to that that spot, right, which is where sort of the the um, companionship love comes from, that spot where, you know, everyone, they know everything about you. It gets to that spot, right, because they just got in a relationship that maybe that was the case, but now they're trying to mask parts of who they are because they see the other person as likely to abandon their true self, so they take up a persona of who they are of, uh, or rather who they want to be or who they think their partner wants to see them as. And then they become that. And of course, this takes time, right? Not everything gets... Sometimes fire lasts days. Sometimes fires last week. But they burn away, right? The whole earth isn't going to catch on fire. Maybe if you believe in climate change. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I didn't mean to say it like that. But maybe the whole earth is going to catch on fire. But it... It's not going to take a day. So, years, right? So, after these, uh, after maybe years go by, they try to do this, and, and it's probably un- it's probably more likely to fail before their other ones, because at least in the other ones, they were, they were willing to accept that the other person knew everything about them. But, of course, the other person could be, have their own problems, and then be abused to a point where, their their relationships after the people with BPD, they will their whole perception of relationships have been disant, uh, damaged, per, maybe semi permanently. Maybe they have to seek counseling for the abuse. You know, they a co- common theme of anyone who's trying to hurt someone else is they say the absolute worst things to get at them, which then over a long span of time, uh, a lot of people tend to suppress that because if you react immediately to the the words, the negative words, then you're going to cause more trouble from the person with BPD because they're going to split and it's going to set them off worse. So you say, I know that they don't mean that. I know that they're just mad. But then you take that, you register it in your cognitive brain, and then you suppress it and it goes away for another day. And this is happening for all the time. And then what happens when that 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 completely, completely unhealthy bond releases? Well, they're going to have to deal with all that suppressed abuse. They're going to have to. So they seek counseling. And sometimes they can't even have relationships for years later. They hate themselves. Their perception of themselves has been damaged almost permanently. Right? This isn't an always case, by the way. Some people are very tough. And some people can move past it. Now, I would say the the amount of people who would take years of verbal abuse and, 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 and words of absolute hate and despotic, you know, attitude, viciousness, sometimes even malevolence, but usually not on purpose, unintentional malevolence. So I guess you could say um, incompetence in a certain way, incompetent in the sense that they don't know how to deal with their, their men- mental faculties. So the way they act is hurting other people. And then when the other people get hurt, you know, if that constantly happens, they are going to have to are going to have to not only deal with it, but address it. Because if they don't address it, it it's going to be very terrible. 
So back to the mask relationship afterward. And this is where you're going to see the, the passionate love, which is a psychological definition of love. Passionate love is a relationship which is almost entirely bound for reciprocity, for exchanging this for that. But it's also um, mainly concerned with maybe extreme passion when it comes to sexual relations, all this stuff. They, they really, really, really feel a passionate love, sometimes almost a, a, a possession of love for the other person. And it might not feel bad, but the difference, uh, one thing that, uh, you know, psychologists, social psychologists and people who worked on studies with relationships found the number one common factor of relationships that stand, well, the only factor of successful relationships and marriages, i.e. for a long time, 30 to 40 years, is companionship love, right? No passionate love ever lasts long term. And if it does, it eventually turns to companionship love. So in the beginning, it's it's very passionate love, which isn't necessarily unnormal. But, you know, you don't always get there right away. But sometimes you do. It just depends. So, you know, after a long time of passionate love, it develops into compassionate or companionship love which is the op it's, it's not for anything right just think about it like that it's the opposite of tit for tat tat you and your partner and this is in companionship you do things for each other which you don't have to do you know everything about the partner you're willing to sacrifice for the better good of your partner and it is extremely it's exemplified by liking, which is another common factor among successful long-term relationships and marriage, wasn't the passionate love. You would think that that, oh, it's like you need passionate love. You do need consistent uh, sort of whichever, if there's differences in sexual needs and wants and whatnot, and if one person is hypersexual, which people with BPD tend to be, more so the girls than the guys, but there's also evidence that such guys are sometimes hypersuccessful. And they tend to be homosexual sometimes because of the abuse. Not always. There's Again, there's studies, but I wouldn't go so far as to say that there's enough studies to prove that point is completely objective. So, it's one person's hypersexual. The other person's maybe not non-sexual, but they just not quite there. So then there's a, a sort of a wide gap between their sexual interests and prep prep. And preferences, which then, obviously, that's not going to last very long. And it's not going to be like, I want this. Well, I don't. Well, what happens? Maybe you cheat. Maybe you don't. Maybe you move on. Or maybe you deal with it and work it out. Um, but let's just say that that's the case. And it and it works out a little bit. And it, but it's still passionate love, right? It's not engulfed by a, a, a feeling of likeness. Which is like... It's something... Along the lines of the person in which you'll stay longest with is the person you're most likely to be friends with the entire time. Your friend, your partner has to be your friend or it doesn't work. There's no other, there's no other way around it. And the, 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 the data on that is clear. When you see relationships, even in their 70s, they measured psychological um, psychological functions, and you would think, well, those old guys, they want to have sex with other girls, right? How would they? Their partner's ugly. They're 70 years old. Don't they look at young girls? And they measured this cognitively, clinically, and they realized because their love for the other's personality, because their friendship and their 
their bind of companionship love was so strong, they truly don't look at other people's people as being sexually attractive. Or at least not in the sense of, I oh, I want to cheat on you at all. Because they're so bound by an underlying feeling of likeness, friendship, and companionship. So we just went over passionate love, which never is the case, is never a sustainable form of love for long-term relationships and marriage. But you can go from passionate love to companionship love, right? So clear on that. Then as their situation begins to differ as they grow into their 20s, into their 30s, a lot of thing, a lot of problems happen, such as a lack of being able to sustain a job or being able to be consistent in a lot of things. Now, I've heard some people say that um, BPD is associated with orderliness, um, or excuse me, disorderliness, and it really depends on what you mean. Because believe it or not, I'm not going to go. I can't say for sure, but I know one of the most common diagnosed disorders, along with BPD is OCD, which is interesting. So like, it's like, so there is a lot of disorder in their life and a lot of chaos, but that chaos is not necessarily in, in like the, the way they carry themselves physically. It's more so disorder in the mind and in their behavior, in their feelings towards others, in their ability to um, form sufficient cognitions and to form arguments and develop those arguments and to decide whether something is good or whether something's too bad to be rational there's a disorder when it comes there's a um an unorderliness when it comes to their rationale but not necessarily in the way they carry themselves so again there's a lot of individual differences which is why the political psychologists you know they said of course you treat the individual not the collective not the collective I'm 42 minutes in, so I, I think we'll continue on this uh, for a little bit longer, and then we're going to end it, because I don't want these segments to be too long. I want people to be able to kind of digest them and get it, because it's something new I'm going to be doing. I just did a bunch, bunch of them. I'm going to be doing more. Um, but let's finish this up and wrap this up. And let's try and Let's try and articulate a possible solution to all of these vast complicated problems which are surrounded by abandonment dysfunction in relationships and um a a disorder when it comes to their emotional development their social development their the care from their parents or guardians when they were younger then the dysfunction in their teen years to their 20s which then lead to the same things and sort of like positive feedback loops where they keep repeating the same pattern of behavior because they're not changing because they don't know how to change, but they'll even suggest changing, but they won't. And part of the reason why they don't want to change is like, well, if you have a fear of abandonment and you have to change and get counseling with your partner, well, that signifies something's wrong. Something's wrong with you. And how do people perceive people who are off? Or who are not right. There's some sort of disorder there. Well then the partner might leave them. I'm not saying this is the case. But from the, the perspective of the people with BPD. It's like something's wrong with me. I have to go to see a counselor. Well that would signify that something is wrong. And then maybe my partner might leave me. Or maybe it will change. Maybe something will come from it. That 
that continues to increase the conflict in the relationship, the fire. Which again, it's like, there has to be, if there's one thing I would suggest about this when it comes to BBD, is listen, even if you have to fake it. Absolutely necessary. But really, really listen. I'm not saying don't really listen. Really listen. But even if you're not listening and it seems as though the person is is listening to the one with BPD, well, there's that that's something that helps them sort of modulate their behavior. But not always. Because, again, when you're in a manic mode and you're splitting, well, goddamn, this wall could piss you off. Anything could piss you off. And then once you get pissed off, you'll start throwing out balls of fire to hurt the other person because you've been hurt. And what's good? What, what? What's good if not hurting others like the way you were? So, oh yeah. Well, the solution, one of the solutions is, uh, it's really the only solution, is constant um, cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy, uh, therapy which is obviously derived from CBT. Um, it was specifically sort of, um, put together because of people with borderline to make it more complex and focus more on social relationships and group settings and whatnot. But again, along with a, a personal, um, you know, psych, psycho, uh, analytical psychologist that would also help or a clinical type, uh, they all, I think something personal and something within the confines of a group could be really good. But if I were to suggest one thing, which is like, I'm not suggesting for anyone with PPD to listen to anything I have to say. You don't have to. I don't care. I could be completely wrong in all my notions that I'm throwing out there. I could be way off base here. But don't you think one of the best ways to figure out who you are is to not isolate, but to consistently perform tasks that better your understanding of your personality. So I believe understanding personality for all individuals, getting an idea of what the big five is, getting an understanding of agreeableness, neuroticism, extroversion, introversion, uh, um, openness, and conscientiousness, getting an understanding of that will then set the parameters of your limitations. So it's like, I'm open. I have to write or draw and create. Because if I don't create, I will go into a neurosis, a state of neurosis, because I have to constantly do this thing. There, there is not another option. It's not like, well, you're highest in openness and you can just stop doing whatever you're doing that makes you um, sort of um, makes you release really dopamine. Because we've seen that with painters and people who draw and write, uh, which, which literally makes them feel joy when they're creating whatever it is they're creating. There's a lot wide variety of everything, you know software programs, whatever it may be, but if you're not doing that, you're basically dead. You're a shell. You're depressed. You'll go use drugs most of the time, right? And no one wants to be using drugs and be depressed all their life, so you got you to gotta paint. You got to make time for what you need. Same thing with BPD. You have to make time for what you need, and if you're constantly being engulfed in these interpersonal relationships, which become toxic because you don't have an understanding of who you are, and what you are, and because you've never worked on it properly by yourself for years, you've never worked on it, well, this is where it goes to the thing. Fake it to make it interpersonal, and there's a, a degree of um, companionship. Break it. I'm going to mask it. 
you know, it's this constant cycle over and over and over again. But if you were to, for some time, this is very difficult, which is why I just pose this as a possible solution, is that you take some time to understand who you are and the nature of your disorder before you get anyone near anyone else you can destroy. Because you will destroy their lives. And it's inadvertently most of the time. But you will go around obliterating people's perception of relationships, hurting people verbally, emotionally, <coughs> physically hurting yourself, using the hurting of yourself as a threat or as a way to, to pertain the attention of others because you lack that attention at such a young age because you were left alone or with others or other people in your family were left alone. There's also a lot of sort of, a lot of data suggests that this, like people with BPD, almost always there's someone in, if they had siblings, there's someone, there's at least one sibling that also has BPD, right? Right, because siblings, well, if... if the same people who left one person had other kids. What makes you think they're going they're, they're going to be different with them? Which can also cause resentment when, let's just say, the youngest child, the mother or the father, had a lot of problems, and then they grow older, and then one child who's born later after the original child with borderline, well, they're different now. They've changed. They're not like they used to be. So then they raise this child, this child with the proper care that they need, or maybe not, but at least better than, than you were, better than you were taken care of. So you feel a resentment and an animosity towards your sibling and then probably your mother or father, whoever it is. So the solution is to probably try and not be, get into that positive feedback loop and be magnetized to interpersonal relationships because to even understand the idea of interpersonal you have to you know what it means but you also have to know how it functions and how it sustains itself and to sustain a interpersonal relationship you have to know how to sustain your personality and sustain a consistent mode of behavior and understand all your weaknesses to perform better in relationships and that's going to be it. I will see you in the next video.